God's got a lot of stuff for us this evening. Uh, excited about it. Open up in your Bible, Second Chronicles, chapter twenty-five, and uh, our goal is going to be to take a look at four kings tonight. However, it might not be the same as God's goal for me, but we're going to see what happens. So we come to chapter twenty-five, and we come. To Amaziah. Amaziah. It says Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoiadan of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. A lot of times when God talks to us about the kings of Israel, it's kind of cool the things He lays out for us because what He's telling us are those same areas that we struggle with. Now, rather than just telling us about regular Joe and, and Joanne who grew up in Jerusalem and did their thing, He tells us about the kings. And we can see in their reign, the way they, they conducted themselves as king and the decisions they made, whether or not they were uh, uh, men after the will of God, or they were men after something else. The Bible says he did right, so he did good stuff, but he didn't have a loyal heart. The Bible talks about being a man of undivided heart. Jesus said it like this. Maybe you remember, he said, a man cannot serve two masters. He will either love one and hate the other, serve one, But not the other. He's only going to do one. Man cannot serve God and mammon. Man cannot serve God and anybody else. Either God is our chief... uh, What's a good word for it? Our chief goal, our our focus, our, our direction in life, or something else is. But you can't, you can't split it. You can't say, well, okay, I'm going to divide my heart into three parts. And this part will be sacred. And this part I'm going to, I'm going to really seek after the Lord. This part over here, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to use that part for something else. Then God would say, you don't have a loyal heart. Your heart's divided. God wants us all. Lock, stock, and barrel. Everything we are. And so we see one of the issues with, with um, Amaziah is that idea. Divided heart. Not loyal, divided. And it happened as soon as the kingdom was established for him, he executed the servants who had murdered his father, the king. Now remember we talked about that. We talked about what a man sows, he also reaps, right? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, according to Galatians chapter 6. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap, right? So the, the seeds I'm planting, I need to be careful about. I need to be careful about what I'm sowing and what I'm planting. If I want to experience... More friendship in my life. More love, more joy, more peace. What should I be planning? Love, joy, peace, friendship, right? You want friends? It's pretty simple. Be friendly. Be ornery, mean, old cuss, and you'll have not so many friends. So (laughs) it's pretty. It's not as hard as you think. So the idea then is, got to be careful what I'm sowing. Now you may remember, Joash was king... And Joash was murdered by his servants because Joash killed the son of the man who took care of him all his life. You guys remember the story? The guy was in the, in the temple. Joash stoned him. He was a prophet speaking for God to Joash. Joash, you're not doing right. You're, you're off track with God. So he killed him. So the servants took it upon themselves. God never told him. Servants took it upon himself to kill him. 
while he was uh, in his in his house recovering. So when his son takes over Amaziah, he kills the servants who killed his dad. The Bible's pretty clear, guys. The Bible says, if man sheds man blood, man's blood by man, his blood should be shed. It's clear. It, it doesn't say go crazy and wipe out his whole family and his cousins and his second cousins and you know. There was an eye for an eye. We talked about that last time. Remember, people say eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth makes the makes the whole world toothless and blind. But that's not true. Eye for an eye is a is a concept of mercy. You don't do more than what somebody did to you. That's the point, right? If 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 A was done, then his punishment should be A. His punishment shouldn't be A B C D. Are you with me? So, that's what Amaziah does. He says, hey, you killed my dad. So, the Bible says he killed him. Look what it says. It happened in verse 3. As the kingdom was established for him, that he executed the servants who murdered his father, the king. But look at verse 4. However, he did not execute their children, but he did like it is written in the law, the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded... The fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall the children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall die for his own sin. Everybody stands before God on their own record, right? You get it? Not, a lot of times people talk about things like generational, generational curses. You know, the father it will be visited upon the... The, the son and the child and the child to the fourth generation. But that's not talking about a generational curse. It's not talking about God punishing a fourth generation child for something the father did. God is saying the things that we do as fathers pass down to our kids. So if your dad's an alcoholic, how many kids struggle with alcoholism? A lot of them, right? Down through maybe four generations. The idea is the examples that we leave, that we walk in, pass to our kids. But God said, they're not being punished. The idea is not that there's a punishment. The soul who sins shall die. The guy who did the crime. So this guy, what I like about Amaziah is he knew. (laughs) He knew God's word said, don't kill their kids, don't kill their family, don't kill their dog, don't stomp on everything they have, you know, which is mankind's tendency. He just said, look... You did the crime. This is the time. So that was what was required. So it, was, it showed that he had an understanding and made proper application for God's Word. So that makes us responsible. You hear what I'm saying? When we have God's Word, you know that God holds you accountable for this, whether you choose to read it or not. You got it. The, the, you came here. Sorry. You're busted now. There's a Bible and a chair in front of you. They're all over the place. You don't got one? I'll tell you how hard it is to get a Bible around here. You come to me and say, I don't got a Bible. Can I have a Bible? And poof, you will have a Bible. It's that easy. So God holds you accountable to know it. If you never look at it, it's not God's fault. He provided. Everybody with me? He gave us the opportunity to know. So here it is for us, the opportunity to know. So in verse 5, he goes on. So moreover... Amaziah gathered Judah together and set over them captains of thousands, captains of hundreds, according to their father's houses, throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them and found them to be 300,000 choice men, able to go to war, who could handle the spear and the shield. So he's trying to figure out his army. 
Okay, things have been a little hectic. His dad had just had a, this big battle. He's a little worried, you know, most rulers. What's the condition of our, our military force? Can we take care of our people? So he, he figures them out by family. In the southern kingdom, there were representatives of all 12 tribes. So he divides his army by the families, right? 12 families in the, in the nation of Israel. And, and the chief families in the southern was Judah and Benjamin. So he sets over them the captains of hundreds, captains of thousands, and he figures out how big his force is. Now he's a little worried that it's not big enough. So look at verse 6. So he hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for a hundred talents of silver. So here's how that would work in those days. He sent a, he sent the silver to the king. The king would send his army over. Now here's what the king would tell his army. The king of Israel, the northern kingdom. He would send his guys over and say, Look, they just paid. They're renting you guys. So I've accepted that money. Whatever you get in spoil in battle is yours. That's why the, the mercenary army would be interested. That's why they'd want to go. Because they go down there. They take a, a, a few towns. They get, gather up whatever they can carry. That's their, that's their booty, right? That's what they get to take home with them. Now what Amaziah does wrong is he's trying to lean into his own understanding. You guys know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? All your heart. So that's undivided, right? So trust, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then what's the next phrase? Lean not in your own understanding. Now Amaziah leans into his own understanding. And we, if we're honest, don't we do that fairly often? Like I look around at my circumstance and I try to solve how it's going to work out. Well, here's how I'll solve this. So he says, my army's not big enough, so I'm just going to hire a bunch of mercs from the northern kingdom. Now, they're not, they don't, they don't got to, they're not, they have a good relationship, right? That would be like President Obama saying, well, our army's a little small right now, but what we're going to do is we hired a bunch of guys from Iran, and they're going to, they're going to come help us out. Does that sound like a good idea to everybody? What are you doing? That, that, that's not a good idea. Well, it's the same kind of idea. They're, they don't have... They're not at peace. They're related, but they're, but they're not doing okay. They don't have a good relationship with each other. So look what happens. It says in verse 7, A man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any of the children of Ephraim. But if you go, be gone. Be strong in battle, but even so... God will make you fall before the enemy, for God has the power to help and to overthrow. Then Amaziah said to the man of God, Well, what will I do about the hundred talents I paid him that I have given to the troops of Israel? And the man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you more than this. See, God said, Look, I never told you to hire him. So it's not my responsibility for your financial problem. But, God says, I'm able to give you abundantly more than that. Look, what God's telling Amaziah is you don't need somebody else. What God's telling us is we don't need our own understanding, our own plans, our own designs. What we need is to to be men and women who have made a decision. And that decision, that choice, that life choice is to say, I'm going to go after my relationship with God as the most important thing in my life. That's going to be my focus. The, everything I put my effort into is that. 
And I'm going to trust God in the grace that He promises in His Word that He'll supply my needs. Matthew chapter 6. All of Matthew chapter... Isn't that what it's about? Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Your Father in Heaven knows what you need. He tells in Matthew 6.33, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And, and what's the next part? All what? All these things. So everything you're worried about will be added unto you. All means all. Everybody remembers that, right? All doesn't mean most. All doesn't mean some. All doesn't mean a few. All means everything you need. The, the psalmist declared to us that He will not withhold any good thing from you. So we, they, people who are following the Lord, we make a choice. I'm going to believe God's Word. I'm going to trust in God's Word. I'm going to make Him my focus, a loyal heart, undivided, focused on the Lord. And I'm not going to worry about my plans for all these other things. I'm just going to say, God, you're going to provide. You're going to show me. You're going to direct me. God would tell every one of His kings through the prophets what He wanted them to do. So God would say to him through the prophet, okay, well, this is what God's saying. Send those mercenaries back, right? If, if a king was out of shape, God sent a prophet to the king, and the prophet would say to the king, hey, brother, you're, you're, you're doing the wrong thing. You're in the wrong place. You need to get right with God. Now, the king might kill a prophet because he doesn't like the message, but God sent it. And because we know that God sent it then, we know that God sends it now. God will tell you. You may not have ears to hear. How many times do we hear Jesus say that? He's telling, talking to the children of Israel. He's talking to the Pharisees and scribes. And He would say things like, Let him who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Right? So we can, we can be dull of hearing. Dull of understanding. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't tell us. How does God speak to us today? Well, primarily through the book that's on our lap. Through His Word. Now, I'm not a big fan of playing Bible roulette. Does everybody know what Bible roulette is? Bible roulette is when we sit at the table and go, God, should I go or should I stay? And we flip open a Bible, close our eyes and point to a word. Because I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure that works. You try it. But what you might point to is Judas went and hung himself and that's probably not what God's trying to tell you. So, so what is it? What is, how do we do it? How do we do it? Well, this is how it works. And I've seen it work in my life a thousand times. We have to have a daily diet of the Word of God. So I make a choice in my life every morning. I begin, uh, I, you don't have to do this, but I do a, a one year Bible. So I read whatever I have for that day. I have four Bible studies that I do during the week. So I'm studying for those Bible studies and preparing. So I'm reading uh, Malachi for discipleship. And I'm reading uh, Hebrews for tomorrow night's study. And I'm, and I'm reading Romans for Sunday's study. And so as we, as we put all those things together, plus the one-year study, by a lot of God's Word flowing in. And it's amazing how many times, whatever I read that morning or that day, that I'll come to work and I'll sit down and someone will walk in the door with an issue or a question, and it's exactly what I read. See, God won't leave you without His Word. Whether you're King Amaziah or Jackie, 
God won't leave you without it. You can have dullness of hearing or blindness of sight, but that's on you, not on God. He's giving it. The other way God speaks to us is when we have a regular diet of spending time talking to Him. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. Well, that doesn't mean I'm just on my knees for 24 hours. That means I'm constantly in an attitude of prayer. I'm constantly in an attitude of prayer. I may have a phone call. Jason may say, Jack, you got uh, somebody's crying on, on the phone. They want to talk to you. Before I pick up the phone, I'm going to pray. Hey God, I don't know what, what's, what I'm about to, what I'm about to talk about or what I'm about to hear, but I need your wisdom, your words, your spirit. Lead me, guide me, show me the way. And then I pick up the phone. And then I trust that what God said He would do in His Word, He'll do. Because God said, if you ask me for wisdom, I'll give it to you. Doesn't He say that? He says, if you ask me for the power of your Holy Spirit, I'll give it to you. So then my role is to believe God's going to do what He said He's going to do. Undivided heart. So I spend time, a daily diet of His Word. A daily diet, speaking to Him, talking to Him. What, you know, what we've been talking about for a while, probably ever since God led me to, to the, the great dichotomy that I have become, which is, I'm a, I, it doesn't matter. Anyways, I read this book, pretty cool book, and one of the things it talks about in that book, a quote from C.S. Lewis, really stuck with me. What you love, you'll praise. That's the third part. What you love, you praise. How many grandparents? So your grandparent, and you're sitting someplace, and somebody across the table says, Oh man, did you check out what my grandchild, let me show you a picture. What do you immediately want to do? Yeah, why? Because you love your grandkids, don't you? And you think your grandkid is better looking than mine. There's no way, by the way. But you think it, it's okay. You think, you think that. So, because I love my grandkids, I want to talk about them. I want to talk about the cute things they said and the things they did, right? Because I love them. When I love God, when He is that, that chief point and issue in my life, I can't help it. I gotta talk about Him. I can't be a top secret believer where nobody knows. I gotta talk about Him because I love Him. Now the key is not for us to spend our time and our life saying, man, I gotta, I gotta figure out how to talk about Jesus more. No, you gotta figure out how to fall in love with Him more. That's all you got to do. Because if you love Him more, it just comes out natural. You get? Daily diet of the Word. Spending time daily talking to Him and, and falling in love with Him all the time. A little more in love with God. What? Learning about Him. It all It's like this circle that continues to feed itself. What, what Amaziah does right, man, he listens to God. Look at verse 10. So Amaziah discharged the troops. He said, okay, you guys are out of here. Oh, man. They're not happy. They thought they were going to get a bunch of gold and silver. So it says, Therefore, their anger was greatly aroused. That's Bible speak, for they got really ticked off. Their anger was greatly aroused against Judah. And they went home in great anger. Twice in that verse, it said they were greatly angry. Huh. So these guys are hot. It is a mercenary army in Judah, mad about having to go home. What do you think they're going to do on their way home? You're absolutely right. What you're thinking is exactly what they're going to do. We'll get to that in a second. So Amaziah strengthened himself 
And leading the people, he went to the Valley of Salt and killed 10,000 of the people of Seir. Also, the children of Judah took captive 10,000 alive, brought them to the top of the rock and threw them off the top of the rock so that they were all dashed in pieces. Wow, that sounds like a bad day if you were from Seir, huh? It sounds like a good day for God's people. Now, the point is not to focus on the people who got thrown off the rock. The point is God gave them victory. And the people who were defeated were not defeated without the voice of God calling to them and offering them repentance. Well, Jackie, how do you know that? Well, there's two books in the Bible you should read. Jonah and Nahum. You know what's interesting about those two books? Those prophets were sent to Gentiles. They were? Yeah, they were sent to the Syrians. They were sent to Nineveh. You guys remember Nineveh? The, the Assyrian nation? They were sent to Nineveh. Gentiles, not Jews. Prophets of God sent there. And you remember what Jonah's message was? He didn't really like them much, right? He didn't like the Assyrians. The Assyrians were really cruel people. So when he went to Nineveh, does everybody remember his message? It was really short. His message was repent or die in 40 days. <laughs> he's, I think he's hoping nobody's going to listen. Jonah goes through and says, repent or die. And from the king to the least of them, they put on sackcloth and ashes and repented. And God spared Nineveh. What about Nahum? Well, he goes back a few years later. His message is a little different, but basically the same idea. Hey, you guys are off track. Repent or be judged. That time they didn't listen. Both times God had a prophet there, didn't he? Both times God said, guys, off, you're, you're, you're sideways. Is there sections in the scripture that talks about prophets that we have no idea where they came from? You guys ever read Genesis? Just nod. Even if you didn't, it's okay. Well, probably not. It's not good to lie in church, so don't lie. But in Genesis chapter 14, we, 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 we got a guy named Abraham. Everybody remember Abraham? And Abraham has a friend of his, his name, or a uh, uh, nephew, whose, uh, his name is Lot. Everybody remember Lot? Abraham and Lot. And Lot gets kidnapped by a, a bunch of kings who raid Sodom and Gomorrah, and they take all these people captive. So Abraham goes to get him. And Abraham goes, God gives him the victory. He's only got 318 trained men. These 318 trained men defeat the armies. He releases all the prisoners to come back. And on his way back home, he runs into an interesting character. In the middle of nowhere, he runs into a fellow named Melchizedek. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. He is the high priest of the most high God in a town called Jerusalem. You heard of that place, right? Well, there's no Israel yet. It's long before that. So Abraham, coming back, bumps into Jerusalem, meets this guy named Melchizedek, who's a priest of the Most High God, and Abraham pays him a tithe of all he has. He gives him 10% of whatever he just got. And do you know what they have together? Bread and wine. The same things Jesus had with his disciples at the Last Supper. The same thing we celebrate at the Lord's Supper, right? Bread 
and wine. The body and the blood. Nobody tells us where Melchizedek learned about God. Nobody tells us about how he knew God and he wasn't Jewish and how, how he had a relationship with God. In fact, some people are so blown away, they try to make Melchizedek to be God. And maybe he is a Christophany. Maybe he really is Christ. But usually, just so you know, God doesn't show up and call himself something else. <laughs> you know what I mean? Usually he doesn't do that. So, we see Melchizedek. Because that happens over and over again. Moses, out on the backside of the desert, who's he run into? You guys remember his father-in-law's name? Jethro. Jethro. Who did Jethro serve? God the Most High. How did Jethro learn about God the Most High? Where did all that come from? Over and over and over again, in the pages of Scripture, you run into characters who know God, but the Bible doesn't tell us how they know God. Because you realize that the Bible does not contain everything God did on the face of the earth. Do you know that? The Bible tells us one story. What's the story it tells us? How God redeems men. The gospel. The good news. How we can be right with God. Us here. So I think God warns everybody. He sends His people. They may throw them out the back and say, That dude's crazy. But it doesn't change the fact that God brought warning. And if we ignore God's warning, what should we expect? God's judgment. That we do see on the page of Scripture. So, anyway, God gives them the victory. Look at verse 13. But as for the soldiers of the army which Amaziah discharged, those are the guys who are mad, Amaziah discharged so that they would not go with him to battle. They raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Horon, killed 3,000 in them and took much spoil. So they got their spoil, right? Because they were angry, they fought all the way through. Now, that would have never happened if Amaziah had just trusted God and not leaned into his own understanding, right? But he, he tried to solve the problem himself. Now, to his credit, when God said, hey, you're off track, he got on track, right? But then look what he does. Look at look what happens in, in, uh, in verse 14. Now, it was so, after Amaziah came from the slaughter of the Edomites that he brought the gods of the people of Seir and set them up to be his gods and bowed down before them and burned incense to them. Now, does that sound stupid to anybody else? Okay, so God spoke to you through a prophet. You did what God said. God gave you this incredible victory and you picked up all the gods from the people who just got wiped out and decided, I'm going to worship them. Do you see that goes back to a divided heart. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You will pick one. And if you try to leave your heart divided, you'll pick yourself. And that's the God you'll serve. Well, that's what Amaziah does. Whatever there was about the worship of these gods, they were stoked. He was stoked to be a part of it. It's ridiculous. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was aroused. Will God give him warning? Sure, God tells his prophets. Look, and he sent him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought out the gods of the people who could not rescue their own people from you? Why would you serve them? So it was as he talked to him, the king said, Have we made you the king's counselor? Whoa. You don't want to listen. 
cease. Why should you be killed? So the prophet was quiet and said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have not done this and have not heeded his voice. So now Amaziah has turned his back on God. He's made a choice. His heart is loyal now, just loyal to the wrong side. And Amaziah, king of Judah, asked advice, but not of God, and sent to Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel. That's the guys he hired the army from. Come, let us face one another in battle. He's feeling big in his britches. He just won this battle. And he's left God behind. And he's decided to serve other gods. And now he wants to go to battle. So Joash, king of Israel, sent to him and said, The thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son his wife. And a wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. Indeed, you say that you have defeated the Edomites, and your heart is lifted up to boast. Stay at home. Why should you meddle with trouble that you should fall, you and Judah with you? So the king of Israel says, look, don't start this. We are going to whoop you. Don't start it. But the Bible, look at the next verse. It's interesting. Amaziah would not listen because it came from God. See, once you close your ears to what God is saying, once you make a decision, I, I don't, I, close it off, then every time something, somebody speaks into your life that is the voice of God for you, your heart is hard. And you won't hear it. So God's speaking to Amaziah through Joash, but Amaziah don't hear it. And God said, The whole point, look, when Amaziah stands before God, he's not going to be able to say, God, you never gave me a chance, is he? God's going to say, what are you talking about, man? I told you and I told you, you didn't want to listen. You told my prophet to shut up. I spoke through Joash, you wouldn't listen to him. So, I'm not going to force you to, to love me. I'm not going to force you to follow me. Do what you want. That's what he does. Amaziah would not heed because it came from God, that he might give them into the hand of their enemies because they sought the gods of Edom. So Joash, king of Israel, went out. He and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel. Every man fled to his tent. And Joash, the king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, at Beth Shemesh, And he brought him to Jerusalem. He broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate. Four hundred cubits. That's a lot. And he took all the gold and silver, all the articles that were found in the house of God with Obed-Edom, the treasuries of the king's house, he took hostages and returned to Samaria. So he takes Amaziah. Amaziah didn't ever rule again. It says then, Amaziah's son, Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Amaziah, from first to last, indeed, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah? After the time that Amaziah turned away from following the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem. So he fled to Lachish, and they sent after him to Lachish and killed him there. And they brought him on horses and buried him with his fathers in the city of Judah. Then it says, in, verse 20, in chapter 26, Now 
all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of Amaziah. So Amaziah is gone, and they've got to have a king, or Israel's going to give him a puppet king. So they choose a 16-year-old. How many people think 16-year-olds are ready to rule a nation? So you guys all know 16-year-olds, huh? So I would say that 16-year-olds then are not that much different from 16-year-olds now. Everywhere I've ever gone, kids are the same. Same kind of struggles, same kind of issues, nothing new today. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. But I want to remind you about King Uzziah. He's in the Bible in the book of Isaiah. Do you remember the scripture? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Isaiah sees God. Once God takes Uzziah out of the way, Uzziah is a good king good king. He has his own struggles, so look what happens. Verse 2, he built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. That's a long reign, right? His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all his father Amaziah had done. So he does right things but there's still a heart issue. But, look at the next verse. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. What's, what did I say Matthew 6.33 said? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and what happens? All these other things will be added unto you, Right? So the whole time Zechariah is going on, which is a prophet of God, he's seeking the Lord, and it says God made him prosper. Oh, but you've seen that first part? He sought God in the days of Zechariah. Doesn't say he sought God always. Well, let's see what happens. Now he went out, and he made war against the Philistines. And broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod. He built cities around Ashdod among the Philistines. And God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Ger Baal. And against the Meunites. Also the Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. His fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt. For he became exceedingly strong. Man, he, he has... Somebody that everybody looked up to. Strong, good king. But you remember what Isaiah 6 said. It wasn't until the year King Uzziah died that Isaiah saw the Lord. Why? Well, I don't know. Let's keep reading. See what happens. So Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, at the corner buttress of the wall, and he fortified them. Probably we're talking about the section that the the guy in Israel had tore down, remember? And he built towers in the desert. He dug many wells, for he had much livestock, both in the lowlands and the plains. He also had farmers and and vine dressers in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved the soil. Ah, he's a farmer. 
Moreover, Uzziah had an army of fighting men who went out to war by companies according to the number on their roll as prepared by Jael, the scribe, and Maaseh, the officer under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. The total number of chief officers of the mighty men of valor was 2,600. So we've got 2,000 chief men. Each one of those chief men is probably over a 100 or perhaps a 1,000 soldiers each. Under their authority was an army of 307,500 that made war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. Man, a lot of stuff. Look at what, 14. Then Uzziah prepared for the entire army shields and spears and helmets and armor and bows and slings to cast stones. So, man, he, he's outfitting the army. He's, he's taking care of the people, right? He's a good king. He made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. Now, don't get excited. He's not talking about catapults. There were no catapults in the, in the ancient Near East. But he is talking about by some device by which they threw large stones, whether it's of a single man throwing or some kind of a, some kind of a contraption throwing bigger things. We don't know. We don't have them. But it's not, I can tell you, it's not the, what do they call them big arrow things? The basilisks or ballistas or, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? No? Okay, then, I'm sorry I mentioned it. And catapults. Not those two things, but he did put something up there that worked, that threw large things. So, his fame spread far and wide. He was marvelously helped, what's that next phrase? Till he became strong. Oh, man. Uzziah is doing so good, but it reached a point where he started to believe his own press. You guys ever heard that phrase? Never believe your own press? Whether it's good or bad. <laughs> Don't spend a lot of stock and time in, in what people are saying about you. He started to trust his own strength. And once he started to think how strong he was, it says he was helped until he became Strong. Now he don't need help no more. I'm strong enough. Man, look at all the stuff I've done. You guys remember Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel? Look at the kingdom that I have built. And then he went crazy, right? We remember the story? So, in the same way, King Uzziah was filled with pride. Look at verse 16. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Uzziah was too big. That's why Isaiah 6 said it was in the year that King Uzziah died. Because not only did he become strong, not only did all the stuff he was doing become a big deal, and people were talking about him everywhere, nobody was looking to God anymore They were looking to Uzziah. But in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. It wasn't only Uzziah that was filled with pride. It was all the people who were following him. All the people could only see Uzziah. They couldn't see the Lord anymore. So Uzziah has a sin of presumption. He decides he's going to go offer incense. Hey, I'm a big guy. I'm the most important fellow around here. I'm going to go be a priest too. There's only one priest king. Only one. 
His name is Yeshua. Jesus. He's the only priest, king. He is our high priest, according to the book of Hebrews, right? We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness because he was tempted in all ways like we are, yet without sin. He's the perfect high priest, and he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the only one. And God intended him to be the only one. So Uzziah goes to offer incense. Look, so Azariah the priest went in after him. With, with him were <coughs> 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah. And they said, this is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for priests and the sons of Aaron who are consecrated to burn incense. Did God warn Uzziah? Yeah, he had a whole pile of priests standing in front of him saying, don't do this. Don't do this. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead. Before the priests and the house of the Lord, beside the incense altar. And Azariah and the chief priests and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead was leprosy. So they thrust him out of the place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. Look, if you started getting leprosy, you'd do the same thing. <coughs> God said, don't do this. Uzziah, don't do this. Uzziah, don't do this. Did God curse Uzziah by giving him leprosy? <coughs> what do you think? I think God blessed him. Uzziah was too strong. When he became weak, I think his focus got back on the Lord. He couldn't rule anymore because he was a leper. And God left him a leper to the end of his days. Because while he was a leper, he needed God. While he was strong, he didn't need him. You guys remember that fellow Paul we've been studying on on Sunday mornings. He, He was in the book of Acts, wrote 13 books in the New Testament. The Bible tells in Corinthians that he prayed three times for the Lord to remove a thorn in his flesh. You guys remember the story? Three times he said, Lord, would you remove this thorn in my flesh? It was a messenger of Satan to buffet him. So it's some kind of big problem, right? And God said, no. Paul said it was given to him lest he become exalted in his own mind because of the amazing things he had seen and the amazing things he had done so god gave him something to keep him grounded and when he wanted to get loose god said no it's more important to god that you arrive home in heaven forever than that you have riches on earth it's more important to god that you arrive home in heaven than that you are perfectly healthy all the days of your life. He said, I will withhold no good thing, right? Is it possible for leprosy to be a good thing? Is it possible for cancer to be a good thing? Is it possible for illness or or issue in your life to be good? Yeah, it is. It is. So our focus shouldn't be on the Leprosy, or the focus shouldn't be on the struggle. Our focus shouldn't be on the cancer. Where should our eyes be? On the Lord, learning to fall more in love with Him every day, no matter what.
Cast your anxieties on Him, for He cares for you. Isn't that what the Bible tells us? We cast those things on Him. We trust in Him. So King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham his son was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. So, so he's ruling still. King Uzziah is still king, but his son's running everything. You get it? Jotham. So they're, they're overlapping. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah from first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amoz, he wrote them. So you can read about him in Isaiah. So Uzziah rested with his fathers and they buried him with his, <clears throat> with his fathers in the field of burial, which belonged to the kings, for they said he is a leper. So Jotham his son reigned in his place. So he gets buried in a field outside where the kings owned the field, but not where the kings were buried, because he was still a leper. Still today, he's remembered as the leper king. Probably one of the strongest kings they had. But people remember him for the leprosy, not for how strong he is. Well, we come to chapter 27. It says, Jotham was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was uh, Jerushah, the daughter of Zadok. Zadok was the high priest. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all his father Uzziah had done, although he did not enter the temple of the Lord. But still, the people acted corruptly. He's a good king. And he, and he does what he's supposed to do, but he did not go into the temple. He learned from what his dad had done, right? I don't want to be a leper, so I'll just do what I'm supposed to do. He worshipped at the temple, but he didn't try to become the priest. You guys get what I'm saying? So that's how, uh, that's how we know Jotham. Jotham's a good guy, man. He's a good king. He's a good king, but you notice it doesn't say he had a, a loyal heart or an undivided heart. It says he was like Uzziah. When the Bible is talking about somebody who has a loyal heart toward God, who do they compare him to? David, right? David, who's called the man after God's own heart. When it compares him to somebody else, unless it compares him to somebody who was described as someone who followed David... It's indicating that his heart is toward God. It's just, it's just divided. If we're honest, don't we fit in that category more than we fit in the category of David? I mean, I think if we're honest, we all have things, desires that come up in our life that, that want to pull us away from God. If you don't think you have that, then I'll give you a way to figure it out. Fast. Now, don't fast from something else. Fast from food just have water and fast and you figure out how long it is before your body says i gotta have something i gotta have something i gotta have. you guys remember sunday when jason's talking about the tortillas he had to have <clears throat> now the fast is over you know how many times he's eaten tortillas none what was the urgency of the tortilla it showed the condition of the heart of man and the heart of man says, I want something other than God. The focus of the fast is to say, I'm going to cut everything else out of my life and just focus on God. So you want to see if your heart is undivided. Do it. I know my heart's divided. Because I want things I'll never want. I'll, I want a bowl of peas. I'd rather be shot in the head than eat a bowl of peas. 
but I want a bowl of peas. Now, is there something wrong with a bowl of peas? No, no, that's not the point. The point is, well, yes, there is something wrong with a bowl of peas, but that's a different point altogether. What it shows is the condition of my heart. You hear what I'm saying? The condition of my heart that says, rather than focusing on God, I want something else. Right? That's what it shows me. So that's why, not that it's a a condemning issue. It's not a condemning issue. It's God saying to me, Jackie, look at the areas in your life that are pulling against me. Now I can pretend I'm just righteous and I got it all together, but that'd be a lie. I struggle. Knowing you have a divided heart, is that bad? Is it bad to know you have cancer? I think it's worse to not know. Because the cancer is killing you both ways, right? But if you know, you can do something about it. Agreed? So if I know, there's something I can do about it. I can, I can go after the Lord. Really try to fall more in love with Him. Because that's the goal. The more in love with Him I fall, the less I want the other stuff. And so, every now and again, God calls me to a fast. Not because I'm trying, and and many of them, nobody's ever going to know. Once a year, we'll all do it together. But most of the time, nobody's going to know. That's the way Jesus told us to do it, right? When you fast, don't tell nobody, just do your thing. And, And what's that fast for me is to find out, is, how am I doing, Lord? My heart focused on you? Because if it is, I should be able to do it. If it's not, then I want to know. So I can concentrate on more falling in love with him how do i fall in love how do i fall in love with my wife i just saw her across the room no that's how you fell in lust yeah i started spending time with her we did this thing where we went out and have you ever met my wife she can talk I bet you for the first three years we knew each other, I had not said ten words. (laughs) You think I'm lying, you ask her. She'll be here somewhere. I bet I did not say ten words. Not that that's bad at all. But because I sat and listened to her and I saw her heart and I I fell in love with her. My heart wasn't perfect. Those of you guys who know my story, my heart wasn't perfect, was it? But it didn't kill everything. The areas where I saw that my heart was messed up, God helped me overcome and gave me a a marriage I'm so happy to have. I can't imagine anything better. That's how I found love with my wife. I was, I'm with her. How am I going to fall in love with Jesus? I got to be with him. I got to hear his words. I got to see his heart and I'll fall more in love. And that's my great goal in my life, to, to, to spend the rest of my life learning to love God undivided. That I love Him more than bread. That I love Him more than food. That I love Him more than <clears throat> TV or Facebook or any of the other stuff too. That I love Him most. That's our charge and that's what He's letting us know about these kings. Look at verse 3. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord, and he built extensively on the wall of Ophel. Moreover, he built cities in the mountains of Judah and the uh, forests. He built fortresses and towers. He also fought with the kings 
of, uh, of the Ammonites and defeated them. And the people of Ammon gave him in that year 100 talents of silver, 10,000 cores of wheat, 10,000 of barley. And the people of Ammon paid this to him in the second and third year also. So Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. Jotham was better than his dad because his strength didn't rise up into pride. What kept him from pride? He prepared his ways before the Lord his God. Trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? Lean what? In how many of your ways? In all your ways do what? Acknowledge him and what's he promise? I will direct your path. He prepared his ways before the Lord his God. It wasn't that he was perfect and that his heart was exactly right. You know, I, I, I tend to have an easier time uh, uh, relating to Peter than the guys who do it all right. Because I know who I am. I'm not a guy who does everything right. I don't say all the right things. I don't do all the right things. I'm just a guy. But recognizing those areas in our life where we need improvement and then saying, I want to prepare my ways in the Lord. I want to walk His way. I want to be who He wants me to be. That's our point and the purpose. And that's what Jotham does. And as a result, he's not lifted up in pride. And the rest of the acts of Jotham, all his wars and his ways, (coughs) they're written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. He's 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. So Jotham rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, and Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. Last king we're going to look at. Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. So Jotham was a decent king. Uzziah had his struggles, but I think God spoke to him in the end. We see the, the struggle working our way through, guys who are struggling with their walk. Well, let's look at a guy who's not struggling at all. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, as his father David had done. He didn't even try. Ahaz did not do one good thing. Actually, I take that back. He did one good thing. He gave birth to a kid named Hezekiah. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made molded images for the Baals. That, the Hebrew word for that is the Baalim. It's uh, just a way of saying all the false gods that they worship. He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Oh, you want to know what the incense was? Read the next phrase. And burned his children in the fire. The Jesus, when he walked by the valley of Hinnom, you know what he called it? Gehenna, where the fire always burns and the worm never dies. Jesus used that valley to refer to hell. Where the fire always burns and the worm never dies. It became the dump. Nobody wanted to live there. He's not the last king to burn his children on the fires of Molech. Killed his kids. Not all of them, but he killed his children. 
according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord had cast out. That's what the people that lived there used to do before God brought Israel. That's why God put them out. But Ahaz, that's what he's doing. He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places of the hills and under every green tree. That means he practiced sexual immorality and idolatry. There are things in the Bible called the Asherah poles or the Asherim. That's where they would go and worship the goddess, uh, the wife of Baal, and they would worship him underneath a tree that was carved into a giant phallic symbol. And under those places, they would practice sexual immorality. They'd sleep with whoever was there. It uh, didn't matter, men or women. That was just where they would go when they just wanted to have an illicit sexual experience. The Bible calls it worshiping under every green tree. You read about it in Jeremiah and Isaiah. And the Lord will describe what they were doing in those places. It says, Therefore the Lord is God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria. And they defeated him and carried away a great multitude of them as captives and brought them to Damascus. Then he also delivered them into the hand of the king of Israel, who defeated him with a great slaughter. For Pekah, the son of Remaliah, killed 120,000 in Judah in one day, all valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. Zechariah, a mighty man of Ephraim, killed Maaseiah, the king's son, Azrakam, the officer over the house, and Elkanah, who was the second to the king. So his oldest born that he didn't burn is killed in battle, and his second born is also killed in battle. And the children of Israel were carried away captive to their brethren, 200,000 women, sons, and daughters. And they also took away much spoil from them, and they brought the spoil to Samaria. Man, it's intense. But look what God did. A prophet of the Lord was there. His name was Obed. And he went out before the army that came to Samaria. So, <clears throat> this is the army in the north, the bad guys. Judah's acting like bad guys right now. So Obed goes to the king in the north, the prophet. And he went to the army and he came there and he said to them, Look, because the Lord God of your fathers was angry with Judah, he delivered them into your hand. But you have killed them in a rage that reaches up to heaven. Look, God allowed you to be his instrument of judgment, but you're going overboard. And now you propose to force the children of Judah and Jerusalem to be your slaves? Are you not also guilty before the Lord your God? The Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says that love does not rejoice in iniquity. Have you ever looked at what happened to somebody else and get excited about it? Oh, they got their comeuppance? The Bible says love doesn't rejoice in that. Love rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. The idea here is that they're thinking, oh, those guys down there always thought they were so great. Oh, they're going to be our slaves now. We'll do whatever we want to with them. They're just like us. But God's reminding them, look, their sin and your sin, it's not any different. Do you get it? Their sin's no different than your sin. So hear me. Verse 11. Therefore, in return the captives whom you have taken captive from your brethren, for the fierce wrath of the Lord is on you. So God's saying, look, this is how He says it. I'm going to tell you once. 
let them go. So the heads of the children of Ephraim, Azariah the son of Jochanan, Berechiah the son of Meshilemoth, Jehizekiah the son of Shalom, and Amasa the son of Hadliah, they stood up against those who came from the war. And they said, You will not bring them captives here. We already have offended the Lord. And you intend to add to our sins and to our guilt, for our guilt is great. And there is fierce wrath against Israel. So the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the leaders of the assembly. So they leave it all. And the men who were designated by name rose up. Listen to what they did. They took the captives, and from the spoil they clothed all who were naked. And they dressed them and gave them sandals. They gave them food and drink and anointed them, and they let all the feeble ones ride on donkeys. And they brought them to their brethren at Jericho, the city of palm trees, and they went back to Samaria. 200,000 taken captive. Mistreated, battered, bruised, going to be turned them into slaves. And God stopped them and said, No, you ain't doing that. You turn them loose. So they turned them loose. The north, the bad guys, listened to God, repented of what they had done, and turned the south loose, who had been doing horrible things. Look, if the king's burning his kids, I don't want you to think that nobody else was with him. What the king does, the people do. Right? So, God speaks and and enables them to be able to go back. It says, at the same time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria to help him. So, he's still not asking God for help. Man, he's such a bad king, who's suffering? The people, right? They keep losing wars, they keep getting beat, they get dragged off to slavery, get sent back home. I mean, it's a drag. Again, the Edomites had come and attacked Judah and carried away captives. And the Philistines also had invaded the cities of the lowland in the south of Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh, Aijalon, Gedaroth, Soko, and its villages, Timnah and its villages, Gimzo, uh, with its villages, and they dwelt there. For the Lord had brought Judah low, because Ahaz, the king of Israel, for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had had been continually unfaithful to God. He wouldn't do, he wouldn't turn, he wouldn't change. You think, that's crazy? Just read the book of Revelation from chapter 6 to 19. You'll see it over and over and over again. People shaking their fist at God who won't change, who won't turn, who won't repent. Also, Tiglath-Pileser, the the king of Assyria, (coughs) came to him and distressed him and didn't assist him. Look, Ahaz paid him part of the treasuries of the house of the Lord from the house of the king and from his leaders. He gave it to the king of Assyria, but he wouldn't help him. He paid the king of Assyria to help him. The king of Assyria said thanks for the tip and distressed him. Assyrians were bad. Remember? Oh, that's the people. Remember Nineveh? That's them people. Well, now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to God. Unfaithful to the Lord. That, this is that king, Ahaz. Reprobate man. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. 
So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, slammed the doors to the house of the Lord, and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. He's so mad because God won't do what he wants, that he tears apart the temple, takes the stuff out of the temple, cuts it into pieces, nails the doors shut, builds false altars all over town. Now the rest of his acts and all his ways from first to last, indeed they are written in the book of the kings of Judah. So Ahaz rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city in Jerusalem. But they did not bring him to the tomb of the kings. Then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. Ahaz was bad. His dad was good. You know how many times we say dumb things like, Oh, if only them parents had been better parents, then that kid wouldn't have turned out like that. You really believe that? Live a little life, man. Read a little of the Bible. His dad was a godly man. David was a man after God's own heart. Did his kids all walk with God? Nope. And every time I see people come to that point in the story, they all want to turn and blame David because he sinned. Well, which one of us ain't sinned? Really? We're so righteous, so filled with righteousness that we're going to say David, the guy in the Bible called the man after God's own heart, was such a lousy dad that his kids turned rotten? Look, his kids were rotten because they chose not to follow God. Ahaz was rotten because he chose not to follow God. Hezekiah, his son, had no example of godliness, but he is going to follow God like David. How's that happen? Oh, it's easy. It's called grace. It's called a man coming to God, though he's a sinner and broken and messed up, and reaching out to God and saying, that's all I am. This is all I got. I'm messed up. I'm, I'm no good. But I want you. And God says, yeah. That's a man after my heart. It's not a guy who's perfect. Please stop that nonsense. Please stop the idea that somehow because we can purty ourselves up on the outside better than somebody else, somehow we're better. Every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth is a sinner. Doomed to hell apart from the grace of God. Everyone. The Bible says the best you can do is a pile of dirty rags. So stop looking at your righteous deeds as though they are something great. Is it good to do good things? Sure it is. Does God want us to do good things? Absolutely. What's He want more than that? The heart. Your heart. He wants your heart. Your love. Don't go build a hospital if you don't love God. Focus on what matters. Love God. Deuteronomy, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And you'll teach these things to your children. And you better pray. Every day 
that they listen. But if they blow it, it's not your fault. And if they do well, it's not because of you. A man stands before God with his own sin. A woman stands before God with her own relationship. It's not yours. You don't get to pass your relationship to your kids. You provide the best example you can. Is there is there goodness in that? Sure. You, if you, at least you gave an opportunity, right? But you better pray. You better pray. There ain't no guarantees. God wants us to love Him. So that's the focus. When the kings did that, no matter if they cheated with Bathsheba or killed her husband or did any of that stuff, God says, that's a man after my own heart. Not a guy who don't sin. That's a guy who loves me. Not perfect. He loves me. That's what we want to be. People who love Him. Because that love for God will establish you. It'll make you immovable. It'll give you a foundation to stand on that can't be shaken. So when the doctor says cancer, or the emergency happens, or things go wrong, it don't shake you. You'll be able to do what Paul did. None of these things move me, nor do I care about my life. You want to take it? Take it. I don't care. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Kill me. I'll go to heaven. Knock yourself out. Nevertheless, I'm going to finish my race. I'm going to run to win. Is the race the race of good works? No. It's a race to know Him and the fellowship of His suffering and the power of His resurrection and the love of God. That's the race. To know Him. That's what we want. That's what makes a good king.